And now Bitcoin is actually verifying these proofs, these validity proofs. And at that point, all of your meta protocols and other things become layer twos. Everything is now inheriting the security of Bitcoin because you settled back to the base layer. What is up, you beautiful people? Welcome back to the Built on Bitcoin podcast, where we cover all the innovation happening across the Bitcoin ecosystem. That is what we do here. We talk directly to the founders, building all the latest new cool stuff across Bitcoin. No price action talk here. Very little talk about economics because I don't know what the heck I'm doing with that topic. But if you want to learn from directly the people building it, the new cool stuff coming to Bitcoin across all the different layers. So L1, Lightning, DLCs, Rootstock, Liquid, Stacks, all of it, Ordinals, this is a great place to be. So without further ado, I had a great conversation this week with Bob Bodily. He is the CEO and co-founder of Bionic, which is an Ordinals marketplace about to launch on ICP. Yeah, you heard that right. I never thought I'd cover or have someone on from ICP on this podcast. I thought that was like a quasi Solana type chain. And I still don't know a lot about it, but they launched a Bitcoin integration in the past few months. Looks interesting. But more importantly, Bob has been a fantastic kind of thought leader in the space of ordinal, BRC20s, this kind of new indexer movement of this node software running on top of Bitcoin. And I had to get him on to explore it. So I don't know enough about this, this space. I kind of know how Ordo's descriptions work. So I had a ton of questions for him. And that's really what this conversation covers is it's the Eli 5, the TLDR for how Ordinals and descriptions work, indexers, meta protocols, how rollups can solve many problems and what a rollup even is. And of course, we had to hear what he's building with Bionic and being able to build what he calls the fastest oldest marketplace in the world. So that's just a snippet of what we covered today in this episode. So let me stop jabbering and let's jump right into this episode with Bob Bodily, the CEO and co-founder of Bionic. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. Bob, how you doing today, my man? Yeah, uh, super happy to be here. Uh, thanks for having me on. Good, good to have you on. You've been uh, you've been popping up a lot in the ordinal circles for sure, Twitter Spaces, things like that. But you've also been dropping some pretty fire tweet threads, kind of explaining all the craziness going on, which. It's super hard to keep up with. Like, I still haven't done any BRC20 transactions. Like, I feel way behind. Um, so glad to bring you on to kind of like break down some of these some of these concepts that people hopefully can can grok through this episode. But also, you've done some interesting things that I want to explore. So, I guess just to lead off, let's start with what 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 fascinated you initially about whether it's Bitcoin or crypto. I'm not sure what your entry point is, but what what kind of drew you into this space? Yeah, so uh, I've been aware of crypto like Bitcoin, Ethereum since probably 2017, but just kind of been sitting on the sidelines watching. And then similar to you, May 2021 was when ICP launched their mainnet. 
And so I was able to actually, you know, get some ICP and stake it. There's there's on-chain governance on ICP. So you can stake it and then you can vote on governance proposals. So the only way to upgrade the proposal is via these governance proposals. And the fact that I could just do something on the blockchain without tokens required, uh, like you can do interactions on ICP without tokens. So it, it, it wasn't like, uh, you know, meme coin or like the financialization of everything. It was just cool applications built on the blockchain. And from there, I was kind of hooked and, you know, I've been building full time on blockchain for the past two, two years now. Uh, and then uh, Ordinals started up, I think it was February 6th, where I was like, you know, I've seen enough, this thing's going to be huge. And so I just started going really, really deep on building on Bitcoin. Uh, I think the amount of experimentation that has happened on Bitcoin in the last three months, it's probably more than the last year or two or three. It's almost like a melting pot of blockchain because you have Ethereum, Ethereum NFT traders or people from Ethereum that are that have always liked Bitcoin. And now there's finally, you know, some additional activity, some things to do. There's people in the Stacks ecosystem who haven't really had, you know, a huge amount of attention historically that are now getting a lot more attention, being like a smart contract layer on Bitcoin. And then you even have other ecosystems like ICP or other side chains kind of building for Bitcoin. And then obviously like all the Bitcoiners. And so, well, and then, and, and that's not even, uh, you know, talking about any of the other meta protocols like Omni or layer twos like Liquid or Lightning or Rootstock or uh, Counterparty or, you know, there there's all of these different things and now they're all like smashed together, all doing cool things. So it's, it's a really, really fun time. Didn't it be more? Your... What's your background? You said you've been building here for roughly two years. Are you, do you have a technical background? Are you a dev? What's that for you? Yeah, I did. I've, I've kind of been all over the place. I did undergrad in neuroscience, and then I did a PhD in educational technology. And then I worked as a data scientist, data engineer, and then jumped into crypto. So uh, lots of background, education, tech, data. Got it. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by, I mean, it seems like the Web2 world is still very cushy for engineers. So it's a little risky making the jump over to Web3 unless you have like a high conviction bet on something, whether you kind of, you see where the puck is going. So it's like maybe early or maybe yep. you do love the separation of money and state. And so you kind of like work backwards from the fact that you want the government to stop messing with you. Um, so for you, it's just kind of like you, you follow in the cool tech angle, it sounds like. Yeah, I think there's a lot of promise in blockchain in Web3 for... Uh, solving problems in new ways that are better than existing Web2 solutions. So if you think about the like the the dream, the dream is probably a decentralized world computer that is robust and secure and fast and affordable and decentralized and permissionless. And if we could get a decentralized world computer that could offer compute, hosting, storage, essentially everything that you need like that, that feels like it would be a massive win for society. You know, give control back to the people, give people true digital ownership of their assets, have data privacy built in, give people better control over their digital identities. Like the whole promise of Web3, I think, is what's pulling me in. And so there's, 
you know, insane amounts of hype and speculation and scams and all sorts of things. But if you really dig down into like the fundamental technology, I think it'll change the world for, for the better. So that's, that's why I'm here. Very cool. I'm curious about your take. There's a, there's a common critique of blockchains where they'll say something like, blockchains don't scale, use a central database for XYZ use case. And I always feel like that's missing something fundamental about what they're building with blockchain, which is that when you have this like, these open standards and it's like permission, open, open membership networks, it's, you get some limitations on the database side, but you gain so much more in like, as long as you pass the toll booth with these XYZ rules, it's a whole expansive world that you can build inside of. And so I'm curious what your take of that kind of like people that give that critique to don't do this thing, just spin up a MongoDB, whatever, and just have open rules on it. Yeah, I think it's all about who you're willing to trust. And if you're willing to trust a centralized database provider, then it's okay. If you're willing to trust a giant tech corporation, then you're okay. Uh, if you want to limit the entities that you're trusting, then you start to run into problems when you try to just go spin something up on Amazon because there has to be a credit card that's hooked up to a business entity that's hooked up to the account. And if that credit card fails to pay, then that account's going to get shut down regardless of how awesome and amazing your thing is. And so it's, it's, you know, the, the Chris Dixon quote about don't be evil versus can't be evil where, you know, who are you choosing to trust versus you don't have to trust anyone because you have this trustless decentralized protocol. And so I think that the technology is really early still. I mean, it's not early because we've been what Bitcoin since 2009, Ethereum since 2013, like we've been in it a long time, but we're not to the point where you can just look and say, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to pick AWS or I'm going to pick the decentralized competitor today's AWS. And it's like the user experience isn't there. It's still a little bit clunky. It's not quite as fast. And I think every new technology is going to start out like this. If you look at the internet and the way it was developed, if you look at other kinds of technology that starts off big, slow, cumbersome, expensive, and people say, you know, why, why are we doing this thing? Like no one's ever going to use a, a cell phone. There's a, there's a really funny quote I heard the other day. It was like, give me a really good use case for a cell phone that doesn't deal with coupons. And it was a serious quote from the early days of cell phones. Like no one's ever going to use it except for coupons. And so I think the same thing with blockchain, where it's maybe slower or more cumbersome or harder to use right now, but eventually it's going to be really fast and on par uh, cost-wise. And then you're just going to pick. You're going to pick who you want to trust when you build application. Well said. Okay, that's probably a good segue into a question I had around. Even before ordinals, uh, before ordinals, if you looked at the Bitcoin space and you asked yourself, like, what's the scaling landscape? It was like Bitcoin L1 and Lightning were like kosher. Those are accepted. And then there's federation tokenless networks like Liquid or Rootstock. And then there's token open membership networks like Stacks. And by extension, very loosely, you could probably throw in things like Ethereum, Layer Zero with their bridge. 
um, ICP, which I'm not familiar with at all, but that part would fit in that basket. Um, but since Ordinals, it feels like I've been trying to wrap my head around what is that kind of like landscape look like today? One, you have meta, these meta protocols that are changing where I, I don't understand fully how those work. But uh, like at a high level, how do you think about it where do you see that kind of connection where it's like there's these tokenless options and they have their own trade-offs. There's token options that have different trade-offs. From your view, especially coming from like a, a ICP or I come from Stacks, like we have more expansive views of what scaling and deploying yep. Bitcoin might look like. How do you view like have Bitcoin, I want to deploy it, the like the state of L1, L2s for that asset? Yeah, great question. I think for scaling Bitcoin, the first argument is we don't need to like, let's just use it as a store of value you know, for transactions and we'll just, you know, use that forever. And the, the argument to that is, well, no, let's use Bitcoin as a compute layer or for data storage. And this argument has been going on since like 2010, if not from the very beginning about like what Bitcoin should really be. And I think the, the Bitcoin core team is going to have a pretty strong view on what Bitcoin is. Uh, we did get SegWit upgrade. We did get Taproot as an upgrade. Uh, and so there are some upgrades that have been added to Bitcoin. Uh, the, I've, I've recently been doing a dive into rollups on Bitcoin. There's a really good report. It's like, I don't know, 25,000 words or something like very extensive report on how rollups could work on Bitcoin. Essentially, you add a few additional opcodes. And now Bitcoin is actually verifying these proofs, these validity proofs. And at that point, all of your meta protocols and other things become layer twos. Everything is now inheriting the security of Bitcoin because you settled back to the base layer. Right now, all of these meta protocols are just storing messages or hashes of messages on Bitcoin. And that's good, but the downside to these meta protocols is you don't inherit the crypto economic security of the underlying chain. What I mean by that is everyone, every like node provider or miner in Bitcoin is incentivized. So honest participants in the network receive compensation, uh, similarly to like Ethereum or Stacks. You know, any, any blockchain, you're going to have consensus, you're going to have nodes and node providers honest participants in the network are going to get compensated for that. With these meta protocols, you lose that incentive structure. So if we talk about a counterparty or we talk about ordinal or we talk about BRC20 or other, you know, all of these essentially use Bitcoin as a messaging layer. So that means messages are sent they store the messages either in the op return of a Bitcoin transaction, or they might use like a multi-sig transaction. There's a way to store data in a multi-sig. And this is great, except that you're limited in the number of nodes you have. So you have like a counterparty node or an ORD, ORD client that sits on top of a Bitcoin node that goes and uh, essentially syncs all of your state. And if you can get every Bitcoin node to run an ordinals client, for example, on top, then you would have really robust decentralization on the meta protocol layer. But there's no incentive for everyone in Bitcoin to run an org client on top. There's just no, no, no incentive structure there. And so that's a major centralizing force for these meta protocols. Uh, and so 
I mean, I could talk about all of these things for a really long time, but it, essentially there's an interesting path where rollups could be an interesting scaling path for Bitcoin, but it's going to require, it, it might require a, a, another civil war. It might be like the, the block size wars, but now it's the opcode wars or something like that because people want Bitcoin to be more expressive and more powerful. And if you just do it natively to Bitcoin, then it solves a whole bunch of problems. Anytime you go off of Bitcoin onto even a layer two, like Lightning or to like a side chain, like I, I, I think I would call Stacks a side chain right now in its current form, Stacks and ICP, or whether you go to some meta protocol, you're, you're losing some part of Bitcoin whether it's the crypto economic security or the decentralization or you know you're you're losing something or adding additional trust assumptions by by going outside of it so that's a short glimpse into no, the landscape that's good um so and just for clarity are you referring to John Light's uh like research paper on bitcoin rollups was it John Light? He goes by Litecoin on Twitter. Let's see. I'm just pulling it up right now. John Light. Yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I had him on the podcast after I dropped that because it seemed big, but I still don't fully grasp it. But it sounds like, one, it sounds like I need a soft fork to work, which is always a big task. Um, yep. But two, so is it somewhat similar in the way that Lightning works in the sense that you... You lightning seems like it's cryptographically secure. So you, you put it into this, I think it's the HTLC, and then it goes over to Lightning, you do a bunch of stuff, and then when you come back, there's some kind of like crypto proof that makes sure that you're only getting the back the BTC that you sent over. Is it kind of like that some level for rollups if you add that opcode? Yeah, so it would be more like all lightning transactions when they happen. Uh lightning transactions currently don't show up on on Bitcoin anywhere. They're just kind of like on off in within a channel. If you packaged up all of those transactions and then you took some kind of you you had a validity proof and you stored that proof on Bitcoin and that was the ultimate settlement layer, that's what the the, the roll up would would look like. Because then you have the full lightning transaction history that's being settled via validity proof on Bitcoin and Bitcoin would then validate these are all valid transactions. And that would be like your final stamp of approval. So that that would be the difference is right now you don't have that on Lightning. Got it. So, and I'm going to use words that I understand. So when I look at like Stacks, for example, and it's proof of transfer, it's constantly every block sending in a hash, which has another kind of like off-chain data book that is being yep. referenced. So for ropes to work, does that have to be that same kind of like constant flow of getting into blocks to be able to work? And like keep it yeah. in some sense. Yeah. So stacks is uh is close, close to something like a roll-up, except that Bitcoin doesn't actually verify the proof. So with with, with stacks, you have all of your blocks, you have a hash, you store the hash on Bitcoin, and that's like the ultimate uh form of finality. Uh stacks has uh, a consensus mechanism itself which you may or may not trust. You may just wait until, you know, you get a couple confirms on, on the Bitcoin block before you you trust that it's final. Uh, if 
Bitcoin, so if, if Stacks made that hash uh, validity proof, and then if Bitcoin verified that proof, that would make Stacks like a true roll-up layer two, essentially. Because now you're inheriting the security of Bitcoin because its consensus mechanism is now verifying that proof. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, I want to jump over to Ordos for a second, but one last question, because uh, I asked Munid the same question of like, what's what's fascinating you right now? And he also said rollups. So I think there's a ton of interest in rollups, um, which hopefully yep. means there's a, there's a soft fork that might potentially come. Um, but who's doing the, who's at the forefront right now? Like I saw Celestia drop something that looked kind of interesting. Like when it comes to implementing this stuff and not being in the, like space change theoretical. Is anybody close right now that you're aware of? Uh, close to implementing roll like to Bitcoin? This, yeah, like some kind of, maybe they've done like a, a hard fork of Bitcoin where they like they add something in the test net that works like, or is all of this on pause until there's a, a opcode change and then it's like, it goes live? Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin has to verify the proofs. And that means there has to be a change on Bitcoin in order to do something like this. So yes, you could take a test net or you could just fork Bitcoin and you could implement it uh, like a proof of concept. I haven't seen anyone do this. I mean, this John Light uh, paper is probably the, the best example we have of how rollups could work. Um, it introduces a whole suite of additional problems though. And so I don't think we're very close to a solution here. Uh, in order to get rollups, you have to augment the Bitcoin script, additional opcodes, meaning it's more powerful, meaning it's going to be harder to estimate transactions, cost, cost of transactions, because now you can do more. There could be additional security vulnerabilities. Like it's anytime you go from a non-Turing complete to Turing complete kind of language, non-Turing complete, like Bitcoin script, where you can't do all of the things you can do in a normal programming language where like Turing complete, you now have a whole bunch of new abilities, but that complexity is potentially more, more expensive and more security vulnerabilities. And so I don't think we're very close at all to a change in Bitcoin, which I think is why people are going everywhere else, meta protocols, side chains, layer twos, et cetera, because the path forward on the Bitcoin side is really you have to get past the, the Bitcoin core team, but not just them, but like the maxis plus all the people that don't really want Bitcoin to do more and just want it to be a store of value. So I think it's a, well, this is the reason why it's since probably the opcode, the civil war around opcodes. Like yeah. that's probably what, what we're going to see next. Uh, if I had to guess, just because it's, I mean, Bitcoin might even go through some kind of crazy fork uh, where some people want it to do more and some people don't. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Fair enough. Yeah, it, interesting to watch. Um, okay, so I want to jump into Ordinals. Ordinals has been cool to watch because it's it's really shown to me there's this whole subset of Bitcoiners that didn't really have a a group or a flag to like plant behind. And because of that, there's not a bunch of like the, the podcasting circuit before that was all Bitcoin only, Austrian economics, blah, blah, blah. And now it's like yep. innovation, trying cool shit, having fun, yep. you know, put putting on costumes, whatever it is. And they still yep. love bit they still love Bitcoin. They're still here for the asset that's trying to, you know, separate governments and, and money. 
Um, but there's a much more expansive definition of what we call Bitcoin and what will like allow into the club. So I love just get an overview. I mean, I think by now, hopefully most of us know what ordinals are, but I still don't fully grasp how it works. There's ordinals and there's inscriptions. There's an ord client that sits atop a Bitcoin node. Does it, do they always have to be connected? Can you run it independently? So if you can give, me, give us like a TLDR of like, how do ordinal subscriptions work and how do these kind of like clients on top of Bitcoin work at a high level? That'd be amazing. Yep. Uh, I'll probably get a little technical just because I think you can take it and I think it'll be a little bit different than all the other kind of like higher level explanations. So with Taproot and SegWit, there's now a witness field and you can go look at a Bitcoin transaction and on the input, there's just a witness field. And that witness field, you can basically store as much data in that witness field as you want. Uh, this has been around since Taproot was enabled on Bitcoin. And so Ordinals is a protocol that says, we're going to use these specific optodes and we're going to store image data within this witness field in the input of a Bitcoin transaction. So you can go, you can look at the input, you can see all this random stuff. And if you decode it, uh, then you can actually get out the image. So that's that's the first part. That's called an inscription. So you take content and you stick it in this in this witness field, and that's that's an inscription. And can I, can then, I pause you? Can, can I pause you yeah, real quick? Yeah, yeah. So when it came to Taproot, and I, and I, it's my understanding that the witness came in SegWit. It's called segregated witness. So it, it was first induced yep. in SegWit. What was there a fight over witness data? What's the purpose? back then to witness data? What's the value? Having witness data like segregating means it's actually a lot easier to run a light node because in many cases, you just want to prune out the extraneous data and you just want to hold like the smallest possible thing you can. And so it's actually good for Bitcoin if you could have things that are easily removed out because then to get just a light node up, it's a lot easier increases decentralization like it's it's better for bitcoin so i think that's the benefit of the segregated witness is now you have a whole bunch of transactions over here and now you have a separate place to then put the put the witness data got it okay so it's kind of it's kind of separating the ledger into two hierarchies of like super critical who owns what utxos and then other stuff that can be expensive over here yep got it okay so i, I, I and no, no, that, that's, that's great. Please, please ask all the questions. I'm sure other people have questions as well. Um, they also give, I mean, some people call it a 4X discount on storage via the witness data. And so it's almost like uh, economic incentives that if you're going to store data on Bitcoin, do it in this place rather than in the actual UTXOs. Uh, again, because you get more decentralization, more light nodes, it's easier for, you know, a, a, a lot of people, if you can segregate these things. Got it. So it's cheaper to store in the witness than it is like, I don't know if you've heard of stamps. I'm sure you have stamps stores in the UTXO set, uh, within a multi-sig transaction, not in the witness. And so it's more expensive to do stamps in, in, in the multi-sig for that reason. Got it. Okay, so so that's that's kind of how inscriptions get stored. I think you're gonna you're jumping into the ordinals piece after that, and this yep. like tra this tracking mechanism. 
Yeah, so ordinal theory says that when sats are mined, we're just going to number them starting at zero at the very beginning, and we're going to number them to whatever, 2.1 quadrillion. Uh, I think that's the total number of sats, just shy of that. And that numbering system, you can use a first-in, first-out approach, just like UTXOs, and you can track sats across UTXOs. And so now you know the it's essentially global position of all sats at all time. So that's ordinal theory, basically just saying we're going to go and make all sats, you know, non-fungible for real because they now have a unique number identifier. So that's ordinal theory. So then you can combine the two. This is like the third part where now we take this inscription that's on the input of a transaction. And for the output, this inscription is going to be forever tied to the first sat in the first output of this transaction. And that's how they're connected. So now you have a sat, the, the, the first sat and the first output, and you have an inscription, and the inscription is now linked forever to this sat. So now this sat essentially owns this inscription, this image data, and now you can transfer that sat around however you want using just UTXOs. Got it. And I've heard, I've heard this before about the attached to the first sat. Um... I don't fully grasp that. So why is it, is it that whenever you send a transaction, you are always sending multiple sats, like a couple hundred, a couple thousand. That's why you just choose one. Or why is the first one significant? They had to figure out some way to connect the inscription to an individual Satoshi. And so the way that it works to inscribe is you have a single UTXO or you could have many UTXOs, uh, but it brings those in, and then the 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 inscription happens in two parts. There's the there's the reveal, or sorry, the the commit. The commit is first, and then there's a there's a reveal that happens after. So to inscribe something, it's actually a two transaction process, a two two step process, and they're essentially just using this to connect an inscription to an individual Satoshi that can then be tracked and then transferred ownership. So you'll have a lot of sats that you'll pass in and some sats will go to fees. Um, I think the minimum number of sats that has to remain in the final UT UTXO is 331. So you'll have at least 331 sats in the final UTXO. And the first sat in that UTXO will be that tied to that inscription. Got it. Okay. And uh We'll go deep in the weeds here, but I'm 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 exploring. So I've heard things about like refilling your UTXO. Like if you if it gets too low, you can't send it without refilling it. And I've heard that that's kind of hard to do right now. Is that is that the so if you say if it goes below this 330 number, it's kind of locked until you refill it, so you can then redeploy it. So there's a dust limit that says that you can't have. I don't actually know. Uh, there's something about a dust limit that prevents you from having uh, less than 331 sats. And so uh, what you're referring to is called postage. Most people call it postage. Postage is the number of sats in the UTXO where your inscription resides. So usually the very first sat is where, where the inscription is. Everything else is just extra, extra sats to pay for fees. And they did that for privacy reasons, because then you don't have to use another address and like, uh, 
lose privacy by having to add another address. If you can just use sats within the UTXO where your inscription is, then you can save on privacy because it's all just the same UTXO. And so that's your postage and you have to keep your postage topped up in order to transfer with your postage alone. Got and it. so a lot of people uh, started doing tons of airdrops like BTC machine and Ordinal's wallet. And when you do an airdrop, you don't want to pay $2 on top uh, you know, pad everything with extra postage. And so they they would airdrop with 331 sats and that's it. So now a whole bunch of people, like there are 50,000 plus inscriptions out there that have 331 sats. And so in order to transfer those, the wallet basically has to support either paying your fees from another address, which some do, or they have to be able to have multiple inputs where your inscription is the first input uh, another UTXO, like Cardinal UTXO is the second input, and then you can then pay fees from from a separate separate wallet. So Got it. Okay, super interesting. And so inscriptions are held in the witness data. Um, ordinal theory is tracking these sats. The, the, there's no tracking on the L1, right? So it doesn't know any of this. All this tracking is happening on this other above client that is called Ord. That's that's running in tandem with a Bitcoin. So every Ord client Correct. is also running a Bitcoin node, and it's or just watching Bitcoin at all times. Is that the idea? Yeah. So I would call Ordinals a meta protocol, a meta protocol that sits on top of Bitcoin. So all of these, I would call them, I'd probably call them messages. You know, you're you're essentially storing inscription messages on Bitcoin. And then, you know, transferring those around. And so what the Ord client does is it has to find all the inscriptions that have ever been included. And so the Ord client sits on top of a full Bitcoin node. It has to be a full Bitcoin node indexed with the transaction index, dash TX index. And then you have the Ord client that sits on top that also has to index everything. It has to index everything because for every input, it has to go in and say, do you have any Ord information? Do you have any inscriptions? And then it has to check even for like transfers. So if I have a Satoshi and that Satoshi has an inscription on it and I send it to you, then the Ord client needs to know that this Satoshi, if you follow it back all the way, is associated to an inscription. And so there's an Ord index file that's saved. So you have the, the Bitcoin node, you have all of the Bitcoin transaction history, you have the Ord client and you have all of the Ord history as well. And that's how you essentially index and interact with ordinals. Got it. And so I'm just trying to fully understand this interplay. So if Ord clients were to like be cut off today, for whatever reason, no one's running them, and you were still sending uh, transactions in these wallets that are have inscriptions on them, it Bitcoin would just see it as like transactions that have some random numbers that have no idea what they are, right? Correct. Bitcoin is not ordinals aware. Wallets, marketplaces, explorers are, all need to rely on ord indexers. And so a lot of people have built out like ord indexer that then feeds into their API and then their application calls their API. And so there's there there is a trust element here that the indexer was written correctly and that your API process is correct and then the way you're pulling data in is correct. Because essentially you're you're trusting the ORD, I might call them like meta protocol nodes that are sitting on top of Bitcoin. 
And so you do lose some of the decentralization of Bitcoin when you go to a meta protocol layer. Got it. Okay. And and you mentioned earlier they don't inherit the uh crypto economic security of the underlying layer. So Correct. It, se- it seems like a ton of people are exploring this, you know. I think I saw Unisat open source their index. So a ton of people yep. are exploring this meta protocol layer, this new design space. Do you is it your opinion that it's kind of is it flawed from the jump, even though it's interesting because of the nature of like indexers and how they can't really reach they can't pass down that security or you can't reach global consensus like is this fixable or how do you see that the the current state and where it's going yeah uh the benefit of meta protocols is you can basically do whatever you want at the meta protocol layer if you wanted to build in an airdrop functionality to like i don't know airdrop uh tokens or like like brc20 tokens for example uh you could just implement it into the meta protocol and now you have this awesome functionality that would have been really really expensive to do otherwise so meta protocols give you tons of flexibility in you know you leverage bitcoin for the consensus layer meaning your messages are going to be in the right order the messages are going to be stored forever and they're going to be in the right order forever. So anyone at any point, any point in time can go back and index the entire series of messages. So as long as you all agree on what the core protocol is and you have multiple implementations and they're all open source and you can somehow incentivize people to run these meta protocol nodes, then you're in a pretty good place, I think. Uh, it's not as good as like rollups on Bitcoin and it's not going to be as expressive perhaps as like building on stacks or ICP. Uh, but you do get a lot of flexibility, tons of experimentation. Uh, I mean, BRC20 is a great example of this. Uh, BRC20 is basically a meta protocol built on top of ordinals that's built on Bitcoin. So I call BRC20 a meta meta protocol or a meta two or meta squared protocol, uh, which is kind of bad because now you have this chain of dependencies. So not only do you need a Bitcoin node and a full transaction history and an ordinals node and a full ordinals history, now you also have a BRC20 node and a BRC20 history. So you're like layering these things on top and everything has to connect appropriately in order to get a correct BRC20 balance. So if something changed on the ordinal side, that could severely impact the BRC20 state. Like, let's say that the ordinals protocol had a bug and there were a thousand inscriptions that weren't indexed. Now, all the marketplaces and all of the wallets are still, you know, charging down this path and there are a thousand missing BRC20 inscriptions that will completely change the state of people's BRC20 balances. And so in that case, there would likely be some kind of hard fork of ORD itself because you can't rely on ORD anymore if they just like reintroduce those thousand transactions uh, because it's now impacting the state of like everyone. Uh, not, Not everyone, but there would be lots of previously valid that are now invalid transactions. So, but it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it sounds like a big problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people are starting to work on it. Uh, open uh, Unisat open source their indexer. 
they announced that they're collaborating with a few centralized exchanges on indexers. Um, people have talked about kind of removing the ord ordinals dependency and just doing like a sister protocol to ordinals, where now you just have to go Bitcoin straight on top. You have the BRC20 protocol. And you could actually do a transition like that pretty smoothly in the future. And so I think there are ways to mitigate a lot of these that people are working on. Um, but yeah, BRC20 is a great example of just crazy wild experimentation on Bitcoin that we haven't seen in, in a long time. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I think, I think it was like February 20th or something. So it's been like barely four months and it's, it's absolutely nuts. Uh, Okay, cool. Yeah, we've co we've covered a ton. I want to start to bring this home. You're building something that sounds pretty interesting. What is this bionic that you're working on? Yeah, so uh, I am CEO of Bionic, and Bionic is going to be the world's fastest ordinals marketplace, and it will be the world's fastest because we're building on a Bitcoin side chain on ICP. So the way it will work is you'll take your Bitcoin and similarly to Stacks, you know how there's SBTC coming out later this year on Stacks? There's an SBTC equivalent on ICP called CKBTC. There are like a couple of different trade-offs between the two models, but it's basically you put BTC in this ICP smart contract and then you get CKBTC out on the other side. That's an ICP token. And then we have also been working on an ordinals wrapper very similar to how to how this token process works. So you take an ordinal, you put it into this ICP smart contract, and then you get a token on the other side that then you can trade. Uh, and so we are wrapping, you know, Bitcoin to CKBTC ordinals to, I might call them bionic ordinals. And at that point, you can take advantage of the full speed and cost of the internet computer protocol as opposed to running on kind of the, the layer one. So I'm, I'm calling it a side chain because it's a separate blockchain, uh, has a separate consensus mechanism. Uh, the benefits of ICP are you get two to five second finality and it's deterministic finality. So it's not probabilistic like, like Bitcoin. And so in five seconds, like your transaction is done and it returns like very, very fast. And then it's also, uh, you don't need a native token to wrap on ICP. So you don't need to have ICP in order to do anything on Bionic. You can just bring your BTC in and then wrap it. You can bring in your ordinals and wrap them. And then you have CKBTC and wrapped ordinals that then you can do all sorts of things on, on Bionic. We're basically betting on user experience and speed as our key differentiators. So if we can bring people in and it's just really fast and convenient to trade, and, you know, they can bring in and they can just, it, they're essentially just paying with Bitcoin with CKBTC on our marketplace. There's no need for a third token. Most chains, you have to like pay gas or pay network fees with the token. Um, on ICP, they actually have a, it's called a reverse gas model. So you don't have to pay any fees uh, as, as a user. Uh, just each individual smart contract can implement whatever they want. So you could come into Bionic and not know about ICP, never have touched ICP at all, never used ICP and just used Bitcoin on Bionic. So it's kind of like a, you know, like a native Bitcoin uh, marketplace, native in the fact that you only need Bitcoin to interact on the marketplace. Okay. Reverse. I'm going to have to look that up. That sounds, that sounds uh, interesting. Okay. So 
Got it. So I'm looking. I'm looking at the landscape of uh, what you can do with Ordinals currently. So you have things like Gamma and Magic Eden, which are using mostly yep. PSBTs, and that's directly on the base layer. Yep. So, you know, transaction time is whatever Bitcoin feels like doing that day. Um, yep. And then, I, I would put RSK doesn't have an Ordinals one. Either just stacks. Um, but I put those in the same bucket. So the the issue I, the issue typically there is, it's the bridge between L1. And getting your other asset yep. over. So with RSK, they have it's merge vibe, but you, you move into RBTC, 30 second block times, stacks, no bridge currently. SBTC yep. is coming, but that's gonna match yep. Bitcoin. So it's gonna be just as just as just as willing to use 10 minute block time roughly. Um, what's the bridging function like on ICP currently? Yeah, so to get in, you have to transfer to a smart contract. So that means you will have to wait for a single transfer. So, you know, to to wrap it in, it's probably waiting, I don't know, 10 to 30 minutes. Um, on the BTC side, they actually do require, uh, we require 12 confirmations. So that's like two hours-ish. Uh, and that's just for additional security on the wrapper side uh, to to prevent from like forks or anything like that on the Bitcoin side. Uh, but once you're in, then it's very, very fast for ordinals and for BTC. So that means the the, the fee to send CKBTC is 10 sats. And it's 10 sats always, every time, no matter what. And it's going to be five seconds for a transfer every time, no matter what. Uh, so very, very fast, very, very low fee. And similar with, with ordinals. Once they're in the ecosystem, it'll actually be free to send ordinals. There aren't any fees on NFT transfers. So you just send them all day, any day, ev everywhere. Uh, and no no cost whatsoever. And so similarly, when you want to do something like sell it or make an offer or purchase, like there are no fees, no gas fees for any of these actions. Um, you know, for, for marketplace, there will be like a marketplace fee. And if if creators want royalties, then there would be like a small creator royalty. But otherwise, uh, you know, just do whatever you want. Got it. So um, okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm watching. I'm watching this space closely. It's. It's. It's interesting to see the dynamic change where you know you have. If you see it like an onion, the core is L1 and PSPTs, and then quickly as you go out, uh, you know, I've I've seen people even call Ethereum an L2, which is like if they had a better wrapping function, like TBTC has been trying to you know create a model like that. Yep. Um, yep. It. it at some level, you know, I'm open-minded enough to say if Ethereum is resilient over time, like, it's an L2. If you can deploy your Bitcoin there, I'm not a big fan of, of proof of stake, partially because I don't think it works long-term, but I could be wrong. Like, it seems you're working fine so far. Um, so it does seem like the narrative is slightly shifting where there's always the core, but the outer rims are quickly, like, they're meshing together in different ways to where people are like, yeah, I have an ordinal in a wallet or BTC in a wallet, and I just want to make it productive. Like, let me put it somewhere. So yeah, yeah. okay, I got to I got to spin up another wallet, whatever is used on ICP or Ethereum, and I can just go use it, and that's good enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ethereum has wrapped BTC, WBTC, which they've had for for a long time. Uh, lots of volume there, and using Emblem Vault, you can get ordinals onto Ethereum as well. And so I would call Ethereum a side chain 
not a layer two because it's a separate blockchain. You have to bridge over. It doesn't inherit the security properties of of the base chain of Bitcoin. So I would probably call Ethereum a side chain um, until we get, you know, like validity proof verification on Bitcoin. And then you could probably have Ethereum as an L2 if they're posting back proofs to Bitcoin. Uh, but yeah, there's lots of interesting ha things happening on the Ethereum side with Bitcoin as well. Yeah, the, the big issue with RatBTC for me currently is like to get into RatBTC, it, you typically have to go through ETH and then you can kind of move into that. It's almost impossible to move from RatBTC into native because of the custodian. You kind of have to be the you have to be the wrapper to then unwrap. Mm -hmm. um, so all that that's locked is like typically happening through ETH and then swapping into RatBTC, and then it's it still tracks the price. But you can't move it back into L1 unless you were the guy who deployed it. It's my understanding currently. Is that interesting? Different? Yeah. So it's it's like you can't hold Rap BTC and then go to Bitco and get it out. They're not going to give it to you unless you're the guy who deployed it. So you have to be the person who has the KYC. So that's that's the kind of like handcuffs right now. Um, yeah. So it's a super it's a super subpar mechanism from that perspective. Is ICP different though? So you can go back and forth and get. You can go from native to CK if you want. Yep. Yeah. So you. So there's a really interesting thing on ICP called. Uh, well, they're they're calling it like a native Bitcoin integration. Basically, smart contracts on ICP can sign ECDSA signatures, which is the signature you need to make a Bitcoin transaction. What that means is an ICP smart contract can hold native Bitcoin. So an ICP smart contract can have a Bitcoin address. And it can send Bitcoin, receive Bitcoin uh, natively using ECDSA. So that's, that's, I don't know what to call that integration because it's basically just Bitcoin via an ICP smart contract. So that might be closer to layer two functionality. Then if you want to, you can use CKBTC. CKBTC is a smart contract where anyone can put Bitcoin in and get CKBTC out. And anyone can put CKBTC in and get BTC out whenever they want. Uh, the smart contract is just sitting there. There's no like, I mean, there's there's protocol stuff kind of protecting the Bitcoin and things like that. But anyone at any time, like there's no uh, permissions needed or or KYC needed or anything. Anyone can go uh, BTC to CKBTC, CKBTC to BTC whenever they want. So there's no restrictions there. Got it. Okay. Yeah, so I, it is, a yeah, it's closer to like a trustless, permissionless setup. Interesting. Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of surprising you don't hear don't hear more about it. But I guess it kind of falls in that bucket of like has a token, so the masses don't care. I'm sure I'm going to get roasted by them for even talking about it for the past twenty minutes. But who 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 cares? Uh, they don't matter. Uh, yeah, this this has been super interesting. Um, I think people are going to find a lot in this. I, I guess just to close it out, is there anything any closing thoughts or things I didn't cover that you'd love to jam on? Um, if not, I did my job well. Yeah, I mean, I think you did a really good job. Uh, no, we're 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 getting pretty close to launching. We're probably a week or two out. I'll be at Bitcoin Miami next week, uh, so that'll be fun. Uh, chatting it up with people. I think a lot of people just haven't heard about ICP as like a smart contract layer for Bitcoin. It's kind of up and coming. They just recently released this Bitcoin integration a couple of months ago. Uh, it doesn't have as quite quite as much public presence as Stacks. 
but you know, we, I mean, we, we could do a whole, a whole one hour episode just talking about the trade-offs that ICP has made, like what, what makes it fast, what makes it uh, secure, what makes it decentralized or, you know, more, or what are the trade-offs it's making in order to achieve the things that it's doing? Like, you know, we can talk about it for a really long time, but obviously, you know, we're, we're building all on ICP, but leveraging all of this kind of Bitcoin uh, functionality. So yeah, pretty fun. Cool. Yeah. It sounds like it's still pretty new. So it kind of, it do seems to take a while to, to break through. I mean, for stacks, they've been trying to brand as a Bitcoin layer since inception and yes. they're still barely breaking through. So, yes. uh, it's just, it's, it's just a hard domain to, to operate in. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, uh, I guess the, the obligatory links will find you where can people learn about Bionic, all that good stuff. Yeah, probably just Twitter. I'm uh, Bob Bodily on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow Bionic Market. That's Bionic with the Q. Uh, Bionic Market on Twitter. Uh, that's probably our best. Or we, we we have our Explorer. It's live now. Uh, Bionic.io. Perfect. So you can okay. check us out there. I'll have links in the script for everybody. Uh, but yeah, man, this has been fantastic. Thank, thank you for coming on the show and, and, and dropping knowledge. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening this far into the episode. If you found it enjoyable, please do like, subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening on. YouTube does me a huge favor to like and subscribe. Find me on Twitter at Jake Blockchain. Show me some love. I replied to every DM. And if you are a Bitcoin builder, that is kind of at the forefront of building new use cases, whether it's L1, Lightning, Stacks, Rootstock, Rollups, Ordinals, BRC20. Uh, I want to talk to you. So when I'm not doing this podcast, I am the sourcing partner at the Bitcoin Frontier Fund, where we invest in Bitcoin startups at the earliest stages, give you access to whatever you need, whether it's legal, product, fundraising help, as well as capital. So let me talk to you. You can hit me up again. Find me on Twitter at Jake Blockchain and uh, shoot me a DM. Uh, I'll read everything. Love to talk to you guys. All right. Peace. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. I know that things don't always go your way, but I'll be right.